Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. All right, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. I'm Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm joined today by uh, working on titles, I guess, guest host, co host, Martha Tatarnik. So, uh, Martha, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to get to chat with you again and uh, suss out some of what's been going on on the Future Christian Podcast over the past couple of months. Yeah, yeah. So this is our uh, this is kind of a new thing we're trying out. Mid-season, we'll do be doing Martha and I together mid-season and end-of-season kind of recaps or reviews. And it's a good opportunity for us to kind of talk about together some of the things we're learning from some of our guests and the stories and tools and tips and ideas we're, we're gaining from them. So uh, looking forward to this conversation together. So um, our conversation will be kind of loose and freewheeling today. Martha will lead some, I'll lead some. So uh, Martha's going to kick us off here with some of the conversation. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, you know, the value that I see in doing these um recap podcast also just has to do with, you know, I, what I imagine is a huge motivating factor for starting this podcast, which is to spark conversation. And there's so many times when I'm listening to the podcast that I want to like jump in and like <laughs> ask some more questions or see what you think about things. And uh, I imagine our listeners all feel the same way. So I think that uh, this just keeps the conversation going and deepening and, you know, all those things that we really want to do. I think what strikes me in um, always in the Future Christian Podcast, but over the last couple of months, I've really noted um, how many different kinds of voices from different contexts you feature on the, the podcast. And you can even hear it in people's vocabulary, you know, like there's, sort of different dialects of Christianity, don't you find, yeah. like across uh, different traditions. So there's a lot of variety, but then I keep hearing like, you know, the same kinds of things coming up in different ways. And uh, I think that's very interesting and helpful to get into as well. Um, but I'm sort of wondering about your um process, Lauren, like, how do you, how do you decide who comes on the podcast? I mean, that's a good question. Um, I I thought about this, how to respond to this, because obviously, you know, like I, like I do for my guests, uh, Martha and I worked on these questions Martha did beforehand. And I think one thing I would add is generally, or I'll say this generally, like, my first thing is like, I'm just a curious person. So anybody that looks intriguing, I'm just like, oh, that sounds like an interesting conversation. Um, I think I've kind of refined that really in the last six months to a year where I've really kind of, I think in many ways kind of narrowed it down to being like, as I told someone recently, like this is an ecclesiology podcast, if that makes sense. Like I really, for those not familiar with the word, it's like, it's the study of of the church. Um, unfortunately, the name Future Church, I think, as a podcast is already taken. Oh, okay. Um, 
<laughs> but I really like, I really felt like I really want to focus on topics relating to churches and pastors. Um, and I even kind of like shied away from theology. Not that I don't think theology is important and can have, have huge implications, but there's like a gazillion theology podcasts out there. So I was really like, you know, I don't really, I feel like that's a, that's a well-worn saturated market that there's a lot of great podcasters doing uh, great stuff on there. So I've really tried to like think about what are topics that are really relevant to churches and, and, and pastors and church leaders right now. And that's kind of just like, if it looks interesting to me and if I, if I think it has some, um, some impact and influence on, on those contexts, that's what I'm like, Hmm, you know, that sounds like a, a good conversation. Um, like I'm reading this book. I don't know if this will this will make it on the pod, for instance. But I'm reading this book right now on like the. It's an academic book on the history of the praise and worship movement in, uh, in the church at large. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that'll make it into an episode, but it's really quite interesting just to think about how, you know, the praise and worship movement as a I don't know if there, what it would be genre or a lit- liturgical movement. I mean, the authors describe it as a liturgy you know, in the academic sense. Um, but obviously I think, especially in the United States, that's had a significant influence on liturgical practice and church worship practices in, in the last 30, 50 years. Yeah. I, I think that's, um, a really, uh, distinguishing like umbrella to, to give the podcast because the neat thing, well, there are a lot of neat things about that, but the neat thing about, um, focusing on the church and what would be of value to church leadership is that it does allow a lot of different kinds of theological conversation to emerge within the scope of those conversations without it becoming a debate, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I I feel like you get to hear a, a lot of different kinds of voices represented um, yeah. without having That's to- something else. Sorry, no. I was just gonna say that's something else I would would add is like a core. I think a core piece to to me at least is like I'm not gonna do um, to say it bluntly like ideological purity tests. <laughs> um, there's some guests who I can imagine I would probably disagree with on some things, um, even some things I feel strongly about. Um, but kind of like I appreciate the way you say that. Like I try to make the space where there's folks that I can feel like. I can learn from or might have some some value or uh things to share. I, and maybe I'll just for for our listeners and like I grew up independent baptist very conservative where there was just these this real strong like these people are too far outside like we can't learn from them and it was like southern baptists were too far outside you know I just <laughs> so, so I've always struggled with that since then. Well, and I have to say I had like the opposite but similar experience. I grew up in, you know, the liberal mainline church and there mm-hmm. was an awful lot of judgment of the the charismatic um and mm-hmm. hostile um element of the church and yeah, like a real us and them mentality. So I think there's witness in breaking down those divides and being intentional about it. Mm-hmm. So what uh, what over the past season so far has stood out to you, Lauren? Yeah, I mean, 
that's a good question. It's always hard to back. You know, it's like you're, this is a cliche, right? It's kind of like picking your favorite child, but, um, you know, I, I feel like certainly your episode, and we'll talk about that here in a second. I imagine your episode with Alexander Lang, sure, certainly, you know, I feel like we've had a strong sub theme in this season on like pastoral health and leadership health. Um, so, you know, I think about one kind of low key episode, I guess that really resonated with me. I was listening to it was Casey. I mean, I forget how to say his name. Ty Gret, yeah. I think it is. I thought that was pretty good. Um, you know, I even liked, even like the episode we just had recently with Megan Hatcher, um, just thinking about non-traditional metrics for clergy and like what does quote unquote success look like for a church, for a pastor, not just like, you know, total giving and total attendance and how can, how can those different measurements be made? And, and I feel like she was real, you know, I feel like those are, there was a realistic nature to that. Um, like we had a conversation about um, how, I think in mainline context, the abundance narrative can be overplayed where it's kind of this ignoring, ignoral of, that's not a word, ignorant, can't, whatever the word is, ignoring of actual problems. Um, you know, and she had proposed the, she proposed why she likes the asset based model because it kind of doesn't ignore the problems, but it yeah. says, hey, well, what are our strengths? Yeah. I, um, I got a lot out of that episode as well. And, um, again, I, thought that there was some cross-pollination between um, what she was saying in terms of that holistic picture and and some of the other insights that came from various church planters. And I, yeah, I think from Casey Tigrat as well, like, um, and I, I'd like to get into that a little bit more because I think that those, uh, I think that what she was talking about in terms of the the investment that you have to make and then the way that you assess whether or not that investment is bearing fruit um, mm-hmm. really related to my own experience in terms of mm. trying to start new ministries, but also um, flies in the face of generally how the church uh, right. approaches like right. starting new things, which is like you have two years and then you better be self-sufficient. Otherwise, like it's mm-hmm. it's done. Right. So. Um, yeah, I thought that there was just like a ton of very grounded wisdom in what she had to say. Yeah. So listeners, if you haven't go back and listen to that episode, um, I'll say personally, um, two, the first two episodes I recorded, uh, live and in person from the, the general assembly, which is like the national meeting of my denomination, the Christian church disciples of Christ. And, you know, I was, I was hoping actually to do more, but realistically, you know, hanging out with friends and, and, uh, networking, I can only squeeze in too. Um, you know, I have this weird, I have this weird dynamic, I guess, with the, the denomination in which I'm ordained where, where I'm ordained through the denomination holds standing, but I'm not currently working for it. Right. Um, and also like I'm a new, you know, I'm not a born and raised, so to speak in that denomination. So I have a weird connection to it, but it's still a, a great affinity and appreciation and perhaps love for the denomination and their, their ministry, our ministry. Um, so I, you know, I don't know, Martha, how often you're 
judicatory body or national judicatory body meets, but I found it very um, inspiring in some ways just to kind of see some of the things that were happening, um, some of the energy and, and the the passion for ministry. Yeah. Um, so that was a national gathering of your mm-hmm. denomination. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Ours happens every three years, the national gathering of the Anglican Church of Canada. And like, like the States, I mean, Canada is just geographically so diverse and so huge. Right. And so just the very um, starting point of drawing people from across the country gives like quite a, an energy for anybody who has any curiosity at all about, you know, what the landscape of, of people's experience looks like. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about, um, let's talk about your episode a little bit with Alexander Lang. Obviously, um, that was a, that's a great get quote quote for the podcast. <laughs> and I appreciate really, this was all, this was all Martha's, uh, idea and work and efforts. So kudos to Martha for making that happen. Um, and Martha, you did a great job for the conversation. You know, uh, we were talking about kind of some of the responses we got or saw on social media. I know some of the responses I saw, I saw were just kind of like, yes, yes to all of this, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that what Alex identified um, in terms of the positive response that he got to the article mm-hmm. and, you know, the positive response that I saw to the article that prompted me to want to have the conversation is that, uh, like, clergy, Christian leaders felt seen in what mm-hmm. he shared. And I think that church congregations felt like um, they are invited to understand a little bit differently and to, you know, to feel um, a a sense of um, insight into what the life of pastoral ministry is like. I I mean, I didn't hear anything in what Alex was sharing, either in the article or in the podcast, about like, woe is me. Um, Right, right. And I didn't hear lack of faith, you know, and I think that where there was vitriol, there was sort of this um, this sense of like, well, if you just had more faith, then yeah. you wouldn't yep. have to leave pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a writer, it's always amazing to hear the comments from people who clearly haven't read what you've <laughs> had to say. <laughs> <laughs> like they are just going for the clickbait and then yeah. making a snap decision because if they had engaged with his material at all, they would have realized that, um, it certainly wasn't either lack of faith or or um falling out of love with the church like i heard tons of love for the church in his words as well um so uh, like i think that that faithful wrestling and discernment and the naming of realities that right um if we don't name them like can be so isolating. It can just be right. so isolating when we're not yeah. talking about what's really happening. Um, I think that he offers a great gift to the church in this moment to mm-hmm. open up conversations that I think people are like really gasping to have. Like just, yeah, we need to be There's talking. That, 
I think you've used this word in some of our previous conversations, but normalizing, you know, certainly a, a clinical or a psychological word of normalizing, you know, normalizing these feelings um, for other pastors and other leaders yeah. and normalizing to non-pastors and, and, and the lay leadership, lay people in the pews or in the seats. Right. Yeah, I agree. Normalizing and, uh, you know, like I think that your most recent podcast with Scott Nelson, um, obviously, like it was just, again, when you think about dialects of Christianity, yeah. like yeah. Scott yeah. Nelson obviously has a very different background from Alex Lang. Um, but I like, again, the normalizing of like the need for a support system for pastors, the normalizing mm-hmm. of like having sounding boards um, for various pieces of, you know, what you need to figure out and work through and wrestle with as a Christian leader. Um, yes, like we need more of that. We need to, we need to talk about friendship. Like we need to talk mm-hmm. about those uh, relational lifelines that make it possible for us, to, for us to be faithful. I mean, whether you're an ordained leader of the church or not, like we need mm-hmm. those relational lifelines, but surely we should be modeling that as leaders. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, Martha, what you were expecting when you had the conversation with him, but to me, I was almost surprised by the lack of like anger or vitriol or like, what well, you know, like I've been screwed over by the church. Like he was very like, he was very much seemed very much at peace with his decision um, yeah, so I just I, how did that strike you? yeah, I mean i I agree like it it read to me as if like this is a faithful discernment of the next chapter, and he mm-hmm. talked, you know, many times throughout our conversation about his love for his congregation and mm-hmm. you know, um, and how much he's been blessed by them right. and that his most profound um, experience of drawing close to God is through relationship with others. Um, so yeah, there was no, there was no vitriol. There, there was tons of gratitude and, and love um, just like time for another chapter. Yeah. It strikes me as the word that the phrase that comes to mind is someone who's just kind of like done the math because maybe for me, I, I had to make a very similar calculation recently moving to bivocational ministry. And it wasn't about like a lack of love or faith, love in the church or faith in the church. It was just kind of like a, it seems like just for Alex, it was just like a, I don't know. It was just like, this is the most logical next step. Is that, I don't know. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I, like I always say that um the the hardest thing for me in ministry is preaching. I think I'm good yeah. at it, but like just the output of energy and stress and consternation that it causes like it's definitely the most stressful thing that I do in ministry. Hmm. Um like I I am willing to do it for a time. I find it extremely meaningful to do it. I mm-hmm. uh, feel blessed by getting to preach. Like, I look forward to the day when I don't have to preach anymore. 
Like, yeah. like this is a chapter of, um, of my life and ministry that I am willing to do. And like, I feel God gives me the strength to do, but there will come a day where I will gladly like lay down that particular responsibility and, and like a heavy, it's a responsibility I bear heavily. Right. And I, Mm -hmm. I guess I heard some of that in what he was sharing. Like, um, like the number one reason that he, identified in his article and in our conversation um for like just how heavy the ministry can become is the the grief and the secrets and the yeah um, like like the the heavy responsibility of being so invested in people's lives and again i didn't hear that he was sorry to have done that but Mm -hmm. like he you can't do it indefinitely. You can't right. do that forever. You can do it for a chapter. Yeah, that stuff. I mean, I think that's one of the, I'm trying to think of the word harrowing, maybe parts of that conversation to think about. Cause you think about, I mean, he was a pastor of a large church, not to say that this doesn't happen in small churches. It does. You carry a lot of loads. Um, I'm just thinking in larger churches, there's, that much more loads you have to carry as a leader. And that's, that's harrowing. Um, I heard it this way, Martha, you know, like many churches will have like the standard kind of like greeting line as the past, you know, as the, the pastor will go to the back of the sanctuary and the, have like a handshake line, you know, in like one minute, someone could be like, Oh, my daughter just got accepted into a prestigious university. And the next, the next person could be like, Oh, my son just was uh, hospitalized for alcohol addiction. Yeah, like that kind of what, what would be the word? Like uh, black and white distinctions. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, you get the whole gamut, right? And right, and you have like what ninety seconds with each right. person, and right. you know, then you need to be ready to give your attention to the next person, and right. Yeah, I mean. It's uh, and it's an amazing privilege and like right, life giving, right. but also like I, I think it's a a responsibility that um might for some of us have a beginning, middle, and end, and yeah. that's okay. That's not a lack of faith or faithfulness. It's I think it's to say like I will do it for this time, and then I will release it. Yeah. I want to, before we move on, I I just want to give, um, acknowledge it again, like you said, like some of the vitriol or negativity around that piece was this idea of like a lack of faith. Like to me, when I listened, his faith was very evident. It was strong. This wasn't as I heard like, Oh, my faith has shaken and collapsed. Yeah. I, I really did not hear that whatsoever but you know i think that like there is a reason why these things don't get talked about and it's fear you know like yeah yeah i think um and i think that this has come up a a number of times and certainly was um pretty strong in the scott nelson podcast um Mm -hmm. just around vulnerability like uh like it's it's 
hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to not just let down our personal guards, but to let down our guards about all of the things that we hope for for the church and all the things that we fear could happen to the church and, you know, the the ministering in the midst of decline and like mm-hmm. all of those things can make you feel like you just have to like be relentlessly positive and mm-hmm. um and not like let any cracks in the facade show, right? And so I think that even the vitriol tells us something about um the just the truth of where where the church is right now and uh and the soft tender spots that mm-hmm. that feel hard to talk about. Yeah. Well, let's I feel like we could talk the rest of the episode on this topic, right? Yeah. You kind of identified three broad themes in the episode or in the the season so far you want to talk about uh church planting, reimagining the story structures of the church and love of the church. So let's let's dive into those a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, those were just three themes that kept grabbing my attention. I you know, and other people would have a different top three, but those were definitely the top three that um, I wanted to follow up on. So, uh, yeah, you had a couple of different church planters um, featured in some of uh, the podcasts over the past couple of months, and they've come at the question of church planting from different denominations and different mm-hmm. um, contexts. Um I, I thought that sort of the more traditional understanding of church planting was contrasted nicely with, it was Craig Greenfield, I believe, mm-hmm. who um, does what we have traditionally called like missionary work in other right. parts of the world, right? Um, but obviously he uh, read onto that work um a tremendous amount of cultural sensitivity that certainly mm-hmm. hasn't been part of what yeah. we talk about missionary work in the past, <laughs> always, um, not always anyway. Um, and, you know, I think, I think those uh, insights were helpful for any of us who are trying to engage the culture in which we find ourselves. Um, but, there were definitely some follow-up questions that I had for you, Lauren, in terms mm-hmm. of what I was hearing in in the the podcast. Um, and I guess this is a conversation that has come up, or a question that's come up for me a number of times in um, hearing various guests, not just this season. But there have been a number of your guests who have kind of suggested that like church planting is the way to go for the future mm-hmm. and um and the anglican church in canada uh has kind of subscribed in various ways to that notion as well mm-hmm. um in the anglican church of canada anyway there there aren't a ton of examples of where these church plants have become um, you know, self-sufficient, financially independent uh, expressions of church, and you know that's okay. Like there, right. that isn't that doesn't mean that they didn't succeed. Right. Um, but but I think we need to be honest in our context about who's funding these church plans, mm-hmm. which is the established church. 
And I guess I um like where do you see in your context um and in the guests that you've talked to like where do you see that relationship between the established church and church planters number 1 and like wh- why like why are church plants going to be more successful in taking the church into the future than yeah the inherited church yeah, so, that's a, those are some big questions. I mean, I think for one, I'd say I'm reminded of like my own experience where I essentially planted a church through a quote unquote church planting network within my denomination. And there was this there was this idea when I talked to other established church pastors that the network was like coming up with the money on its own to fund these new churches, but really it was the established denominational money that was funding everything. Yeah. Um, whether it was through sales of old buildings or, you know, there was institutional money that was that was fronting paying for everything. And that that certainly was not clearly understood. Um so there really was a dis- disconnect there of like, you know, how is this how is this being funded? Where's the money coming from? Um the bright shiny thing. I know that was the I think there's this, this, I don't know what's like in Canada, but I feel like in the States, there's just this like thing of like, oh, new must be new. And, and I'm certainly an advocate of new church, obviously, based on my conversations, but there can be this, like, I think new church can kind of feed into that cultural, um, narrative that old is always bad and new is always good. Right. Um, and we'll go back. I'm thinking back to a previous season, right, with um, Josh Packard and what's his name, Ferguson, Yeah. Um, where they talk about, I think they use this word from another source, tradition to innovation, this idea that you really need, you really need um, institutions to kind of further the cultural growth or narrative or strength. So it's just kind of like with this weird thing that I think that, is kind of a bull fan where I feel like just because of where culture is and how hard it is to bring change to, you know, established organizations that sometimes you need new, but also like the reality is that sometimes just building everything from scratch is not as easy as we like to think it is. <laughs> so there kind of has to be this both and of like, Hey, sometimes new is good, but also, you know, these old, established churches have a lot of gifts and strengths that they may not be giving given credit for. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my main experience with church planting is in starting new worshiping congregations within the established church. Mm-hmm. Um and the two, you know, exist alongside each other within the the model yeah. of the inherited church. And in lots of ways that works well because um you know, the established church feels a sense of very intimately participating in um, in something new without having what they love taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives like a huge amount of breathing room for the new thing to right. um, not have to be financially solvent in two years, you know? Yeah. Um, but generally that isn't, 
what we're talking about when we talk about church planting and um and i i can appreciate that that sometimes maybe it is easier to start from scratch than to try to change the dna of a place but um but again i think like i'm a big fan of being honest about how interconnected the the two really are whether we mm-hmm. um acknowledge those connections or not yeah yeah there was um there was another little piece in uh, Craig Greenfield's uh, talk about church planting um, where he questioned the use of the word missional mm-hmm. or certainly the word missionary. Um, and in, uh, in our part of the world, you know, missional church has been the catchphrase for 20 years mm-hmm. and kind of the guiding principle. And, you know, I think, um, I have very much been on board with the uh, guiding principles of like contextual um, discernment uh, about how we connect with the the place where we are and um, go outside of our church walls and all of those good things. Um, but like, is missional church is missionary like is that language that is problematic in our context as well like is it Hmm. too loaded with the colonialism like he wasn't suggesting that but i just had to like ask like he he was certainly suggesting for his context that the language was sort of beat up and not uh, great associations with it you know, I just read an article that is coming to mind for me by Kathleen Smith, I think, who's a family systems uh, scholar, I think at like Duke or something. Uh, and interestingly enough, she, I just heard she attends a UMC United Methodist Church. Um, but I read an article from her about, it was something about like um, why we try to convert people. And she certainly was not writing about this from a religious context. But it was really fascinating because she was talking about from just purely a family systems perspective. And she's saying like when we try to quote unquote convert people, they either like run away or they just kind of like feign um, allegiance or I forget the third option. Um, But she really was of the point that it was so much better just to be, to use a family systems term, self-differentiate, say this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is what what I'm about. Um, You know, and I couldn't help to, but think about that through the lens of quote unquote evangelism <laughs> and, and really like thinking about my childhood, like with my father going to invite people to church and God bless my father. I love him. He's always so disappointed when people are like, oh, they said they'd come to church and they didn't show up. And I just <laughs> want to scream, dad, they're just trying to appease you to yeah. get rid of the anxiety and tension. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I I I mean obviously you do hear stories of people converting others to Christianity, but I can tell you I like I have no success in terms of browbeating people into mm-hmm. <laughs> like becoming something that they're not. Like I right. I think that there are all kinds of ways in which the the church can be persuasive and compelling and inviting and and obviously 
faith transformation does happen in our communities but Mm -hmm. yeah it like it in my experience almost never works when you just back people into a corner and (laughs) well i'm thinking about too ryan birch who we we had on a couple seasons ago one of the things that is just mind-blowing in his book 20 myths i'm looking back at it is this idea that a salvific experience like the traditional like coming to Jesus salvific experience is not a a determinant on whether they'll be in church, like be a church attender. Yeah. Like, and that just, that seems mind blowing for how much, uh, at least some context of the church, I'll try to be kind here, place on that salvific experience. And the data suggests it doesn't have. So, I mean, tying this back into your question about mission, missional, you know, you wonder like, is it, yeah, even do we need to reexamine and how we're, I don't know, how we're being missional, what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, like, that uh, that there were just good cautionary, um, some good cautionary wisdom that Craig mm-hmm. Greenfield offered that I think we should all be attentive to in our context. Like, I, I think that, I, I think what can trouble me about the word missional or the associations with it is it still does sound like we're bringing something to other people that they don't Mm -hmm. yet have right and Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a premise of it's not a premise of missional ministry but um gosh it's easy to like slip into that don't you think like it's just yeah. It's just so easy to assume that we have the thing that we need to then deliver to to others. Um, and I, I think a a lot of uh, a lot of destructive roads have been gone down with that kind yeah. of being the guiding premise. Yeah, I had to do some training recently for my non-church job on conflict resolution, and I was in. You know, the the real key takeaways for me, at least, were like how much conflict isn't solved by strong-handed attempts. Yeah. You know, so I think, at least traditionally, right, mission work has very much been a strong-handed attempt to be like, we're going to, these are your problems, we're going to solve them. Yep. I'm thinking one example I read about grad school where it was like, there's like a NGO or something of that ilk going to the community and like, you know, I think it was like this community, they're like, this community needs running water. Like we need to, we need to get them running water. Like that was the obvious, the concern for them. Right. And, um, this NGO talked to the, the village leaders or whatever. And they, and the village leaders are like, Hey, our number one thing is we need to have like a, a, a soccer game with a competing village or the neighboring village. And obviously these NGO leaders are like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not your biggest concern, right? Yeah. But against their best judgment, perhaps they went, this NGO said, okay, let's do it. Let's do a soccer game. So they sponsored it, went great. And something like on the drive back or later on, a few weeks later, like one of the village elders or can't, again, came to this NGO leader and was like, hey, appreciate that. Let's have a conversation about getting some clean water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's really good. Um, I I think that uh, 
the different work that I've been involved with in um, Indigenous partnerships here in Canada, like that's mm-hmm. that's the the guiding principle that I think we need to keep learning and relearning is like trust the partnership and listen to the the voices of of the people you're working with like mm-hmm. let uh let them let them have uh agency <laughs> yeah i yeah. mean i'm of the opinion that everybody needs jesus but i think i would like me trying to force jesus on everybody in a way that i think they need to receive it i don't think is going to work well i guess like what i would sort of um pull on is the asset based development mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. um that gets named by Megan Hatcher I guess it mm-hmm. is because maybe there's like a parallel there in terms of how we think about um evangelism how we think yeah. about like yeah. mission because uh, like I would be of the mind like assume Jesus is already there like <laughs> like I am not personally responsible for bringing Jesus. Yeah. Like yeah. Jesus like walks with my brothers and sisters whether they're attentive to it or not. Mm-hmm. Like maybe um maybe there's some language that I can offer uh in terms of, you know, their lives and experience and like what they're what they've named and gone through in their own lives, but like I just think it's hugely problematic to think that Jesus isn't there already. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, moving on to the second theme that I, that I heard throughout the, the season so far, there are a lot of really beautiful stories that emerged so far this season in terms of people's experience of the church just being really like um faithful and courageous and trying new things and um really responding to needs that are out there i mean melissa st Clair with the Mm -hmm. affordable housing project and the stories that megan hatcher referenced and um and you know there were kind of other pieces around the narrative and stories that we tell as congregations and how that shapes, you know, who we are and how mm-hmm. we go forward and decisions that we make and so on. Um, I feel like I heard more than once about, or or maybe it just like seemed like the same kind of thing, but there was talk of DNA, like the DNA of the church and um, the DNA of the church kind of allowing uh congregations and communities to to do these really brave and beautiful things um and i i guess like i i think that there is something to that in terms of like i you know i think that there can be kind of consistent threads that we see throughout a community's lifespan but obviously like we also want to imagine that like we can shift the narrative and that mm-hmm. like that we can lead in ways that that start to um make different dna possible um at different times right like what do you what do you think makes it possible for 
that generosity and like other centeredness to get into a congregation's DNA? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is prayer. Um, mm-hmm. I think just some kind of spirit of humility and uh, willingness to work together and come together and, and just my my experience and opinion is that, like that's best achieved through prayer um but that's that's such a hard thing to to manufacture i mean it, it sounds a bit over spiritual perhaps that you know getting a group of 10 20 30 50 100 200 people together on a cohesive vision mission whatever word we're going to call it seems almost supernatural, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. I mean, wh- what are your thoughts? You've you've probably done this more than I have and been a part of these kind of, you know, um, processes. I mean, again, not to be repetitive, but I do think that that um, asset-based community development principles um, are extremely theological, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. I think help a lot in terms of how um, how effective leadership can work. Like start with what you have. Like start mm-hmm. with the what's already fruitful and strong in a congregation. Um, you know, build build on uh, on what's good, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, I think that there's kind of other, uh, like, facets to that, because I think as pastors, uh, it can be easy to get sucked into um, devoting a lot more energy and consternation to the negative voices and to the positive voices. That's probably a human statement, like, you know, Mm -hmm. one criticism Mm -hmm. can... um, can occupy our mental real estate to a much greater extent than like 10 compliments. Right. Um, but there's, I think a premise of that in, uh, in Christian leadership as well. I think that, um, when you, uh, allow the, the positive voices and the, the, uh, the visionary voices to, um, be the, focus of your energy then um and the focus of the congregation's energy i don't think that that's like sweeping anything under the the carpet i think it's just Mm -hmm. to say you know where do we where do we add fuel to the fire yeah 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 so i i i guess those would be sort of my thoughts in terms of how um how you get to see these incredibly inspiring sorts of things emerge from communities because it's true like that there's all kinds of challenges facing the institutional church and and those don't need to be minimized to also say but wow look at look at these incredible things that are also happening i i heard a lot of those incredible things that are also happening yeah yeah, and perhaps for sake of time, that should transition us to our, our last point. I think so. <laughs> Love of the church. Um, yeah, talk about how how you saw that theme play out. 
Well, I heard you say it a number of times, um, and I heard your guests say it a number of times. And, Hmm. um, you know, we already talked about uh, Alex Lang's Mm -hmm. love of the church, even as he was leaving it. Um, Yeah, I I just, um, I I was very struck by, by the the love that really is kind of the guiding principle of all of these conversations across all of these different contexts and backgrounds and dialects and experiences and, you know, um, people planting churches and people revitalizing churches and people leaving churches. I, um, I, I just heard a profound love. Yeah. And, um, yeah, how do, how do you kind of feel that in Yeah, the I mean I I don't think have? I would have thought about that until you mentioned it and I I appreciate that just because I think that's you know having that reflected back to me I'm like wow that is 100% true. Um you know, I don't want to I certainly don't want to um diminish or minimize or disregard the real challenges that happen in churches and the real ways that people have been hurt in church mm-hmm. or the ways the institution has harmed people. Um, but also, you know, I am a believer in the church. Um, I believe in the importance of church and the gathered community of Christ. Um, and I think there's something like, I don't know what it is. Like Martha, one of my favorite things to do as a, as a clergy person to, and is giving out communion, Right. Um, the Eucharist, as some of our other siblings in Christ might say. And a couple of weeks ago, my church was doing the communion. I was giving out the bread, and I, I was just kind of struck when I when I got to say to people, like, "This is the body of Christ broken for you." Like, it's like no wonder, no wonder our Catholic friends call this a sacrament. Like, it's it's a sacrament because it's you're just getting to tell the story of Jesus every time yeah. the yeah. gospel. And that was just a profound moment for me. And I, I just find, you know, it, church is a is a place where these profound moments happen again and again. Um, yeah, that's why I'm a lover of church architecture because I think the walls, the structure, like holds. Like if walls could talk, right? They hold that kind of sacredness um, yeah. for me. And I think, you know, I think that's one of the things why I've been so uh, apt to kind of like bring you into the pod. You know, because for our listeners, Martha is the author of the book Why Gather, you know, a book that wrestles honestly with challenges about the church. You know, Martha in her book, she doesn't like what's the word, ultra realism you talk about? True realism, yeah. Right. About, I don't know. What do you think, Martha? Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, firmly believe that it's in the context of love that we have, um, these critical conversations. I think mm-hmm. it's in the context of love that we um, that we do hold ourselves as a church to account for harms mm-hmm. that we have done. I mm-hmm. like. I think love has to be part of um, transformation, and I think yeah. love has to be part of how we wrestle. Um, and I think all of those things go together, like. Yeah, the premise of ultra realism is like we don't need to sugarcoat things. Like we don't need to um 
we don't need to minimize. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to opt for magical thinking. Like we can be mm-hmm. really clear about what is happening and we can embrace it. And like that, that embracing, I think is, is the, the part that is love. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and yeah, I, I similarly find those moments at the communion rail and I, whether I'm giving out communion or, or, um, sitting and watching, mm-hmm. uh, it's just profoundly moving because there it yeah. is. Like there's all of like the walking wounded mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like, we're all coming forward with our hands outstretched and, um, and like God is there, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's all of the things it's the grace mm-hmm. and it's the brokenness and, yep. um, and it's the love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. We wanted to leave this conversation or wrap it up. Um, for those who may not follow Martha, uh, she actually, interestingly enough, as we're recording this, what it's been about a week or two since this, uh, the war in Israel has been going down. And and uh, Martha actually rec- uh, was visiting the Holy Land and returned just a few days before um the violence and arrest broke out. So Martha, do you want to share some, just some of your reflections on, on that as we, as we wrap up here? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, my friends and I, who, who were just so recently in the Holy land had such a, Mm -hmm. an incredible life changing experience. We felt so safe. Um, we got to engage all kinds of local people in conversations about, their lives and their history and mm. um and you know just like their hope for peace like that yeah. kept coming up again and again across uh people of all different um stripes like people want to live in peace and uh to you know like war is always horrifying and um heartbreaking but it hit us in a different way because yeah. it feels like these are people that are our friends and this is land that we know and cherish. And, um, and like, you know, I was emailing with a bookseller, um, that I met in the local marketplace and like mm-hmm. his daughter's off to war, you know, like wow. it's mandatory military service once you hit the age of 18. So wow. like these are kids who are, fighting this war mm-hmm. um uh in the context or in in light of like all of that heartbreak there and we know in so many other places of conflict in our world uh it does always bring me back to the question like why does the church matter mm-hmm. <laughs> like why why does this matter like why does what we're wrestling for in a a future church like why how does it respond to that kind of level of like violence and heartbreak and brokenness and uh i i think prayer is a big piece um i think our stories are a big piece Mm -hmm. i think that um i think our agency in knowing that like um God will guide us into our little contributions of peace 
I, mm-hmm. I think that uh, I think all of those things are things that I've been clinging to in the last couple of weeks and yeah. processing the the heartbreak. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that um, sharing that for me and and for our listeners. So we we usually leave uh, with a word of peace um, for our guests, but uh, Martha has suggested we we leave with a, a word of prayer for peace. Uh, so certainly, I want to want to wish peace uh, that God's peace be with you, Marcia. Uh, excuse me, Martha. Um, but I'm going to leave um, leave us all uh, the word of prayer for peace. God, we want to lift up um, the people and the places in the Holy Land and and in Gaza and in Israel and Palestine. We pray for we pray for peace, God. We know there are many complications and lots of anger and bias and hate, God, but we pray for peace, Lord, for the end of violence and for for reconciliation to come, God. We pray for healing of relationships and grievances, Lord, for comfort for families who have lost loved ones, Lord, for those who are still um Still searching for loved ones, God. We know there are, uh, we know there are folks who are still, um, you know, away at being kidnapped. We know there are people missing from the violence, God, and and we know for that there's threats of escalation, God. So we just pray for peace, God, and we lament and we mourn this violence and this loss of life and this conflict, God, and and we we lament just. Uh, just the pain and the suffering, God. And we pray for your peace to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace be with you too, Lauren. Peace be with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.